Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... I know y'all have these questions. I do. Which face masks offer the best protection from the coronavirus? And at this stage of the, of the pandemic, we'll get answers from Emory University epidemiologist Jody Guest. Plus, we go deep into a new podcast from National Geographic that follows a team of black divers on a quest to document sunken slave ships. Host Tara Roberts joins us. All that's coming up. Now, also, we'll also... Atlanta-based musician Chelsea Shag stops by. This is what happens when the computer takes over your script and you can't see anything. Atlanta-based musician Chelsea Shag stops by to tell us how the pandemic has affected her career and craft. All that's coming up, and hopefully my computer will be acting right. But first, this. A record 701,000 Georgians signed up for Obamacare health coverage during the most recent open enrollment period. The data from the Centers for Medicaid and Medicaid Services tracks signups through January 15th, the special extended deadline set by the Biden administration. The nonprofit Kaiser Family Foundation says the previous enrollment record for Georgia was 587,000. That was back in 2016. The Biden administration has made a concerted effort to make Obamacare health insurance more attractive, in part by expanding financial subsidies for people who enroll. In other news, we all want to know about this rising home prices. Well, they're still rising in Metro Atlanta. They're up 20 percent over the last year, according to the Atlanta Realtors Association. Stephanie Stokes has more. The region's average sales price was more than $440,000 in December. The Atlanta Realtors Association president says the cost of homes will likely keep going up, and that could push some buyers in need of lower prices out of the market entirely. It's been much of the same story since the start of the pandemic. There haven't been enough homes on the market for all of the people who want to buy. The number of places for sale last December was down 20% from the previous year. Stephanie Stokes, WABE News. In other news, former President Jimmy Carter is a step closer to accomplishing one of his most sought-after goals. And that's with the Carter Center, which says the number of people infected with the guinea worm dropped to just over one dozen worldwide last year. The former president once said he hopes to live to see the parasite eradicated. The guinea worm grows in people who drink unclean water. It then emerges out of the body through the person's skin. And in the 80s, the parasite infected more than three and a half million people worldwide before the Carter Center got involved in the fight against it. Carter turned 97 in October and is the longest living former president. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from 
the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. The Biden administration wants to make it easier for Americans to protect themselves against the coronavirus by making sure we all have the proper mask. Now, the head of Atlanta Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, recently joined the PBS NewsHour to lay out just what makes a mask effective. Our guidance um, very much articulates that you need to have a mask that is well-fitting, snugly fit, that um, it, uh, it is two layers of cotton at least, and that you um, often have a, a wire bridge around your nose to keep that snug fit. If people want extra layers of protection, the KN95s or the N95s um, do offer that. But what I also want to um, really emphasize is that you need to be able to keep them on for when you're in those settings. Those KN95s and N95s are often not as comfortable. So if you're going to take it off, the really important thing to do is make sure you're masking the entire time. Now, earlier this month, the White House announced it plans to give out 400 million N95 face masks for free through pharmacies and community health institutions around the country. But is it too little too late? Here to discuss that on all of your questions about face mask is Jody Guest. She's been on this show so many times before. She's an epidemiologist at Emory University and someone we frequently turn to when we have questions about how to stay safe throughout the pandemic and all this. Jody, as I call you, because I feel like we're friends, you know, <laughs> I can call you Professor Guest, Dr. Guest, but I can call you Jody, call right? Call me Jody. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, well, first, thanks for joining us. How many masks do you have personally for uh, you? How many do you have? Rose, I have hundreds of masks. <laughs> really? But I have hundreds of masks of just one kind, or mostly one kind. And that one kind is? I am a huge fan of the KF94, which is a version of a respiratory mask like the N95 or the KN95, but to me, it is easier to wear. The KFN94. The KF94. The KF94. Mm-hmm. And... You say it's easier than the N95. I'm writing all this down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's begin here. And, and I know it, it's mask and it's very important. I want to talk about messaging throughout all this as it relates to the mask. Can you understand listeners or someone who says, you know what? First y'all said, get the N95. Then you said, oh, just as long as you have a face, uh, you can cover your nose and mouth. You're good. Then we've gone back to now it needs to be the N95 or the KFN94, which you just mentioned, which someone's saying, I have never heard of that. Can you understand someone being a little bit confused and, and really wanting to make sure they have the right mask for themselves and their household? Absolutely. I think it's super easy to understand that the changing of the messaging about masking has been both uh, convoluted, it has been back and forth, and it sometimes feels like it means we don't know what we're talking about. So I get that. Um, That is not always the case, um, but sometimes that's the way the messaging has sounded. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about the mask because I think it's so important. You talked about the KF94. 
How is that different from the N95? Sure. So the, the 94 and the 95, that is the filtration rate. So a 95, an N95 or a KN95, that's going to filtrate 95% of the particles that could make it through your mask. So that's the highest level of rating that we have. So the KF94, the one that fits me really well, that's 1% lower. Um, but to what Dr. Rolinsky, uh, Walensky was saying earlier in the clip that you played, I wear it and I keep it on and I don't mess with it. So that 1% difference is negligible and it means I'm in a mask that fits my face particularly well. Someone so that's, that's what that part's for. So someone listening said, okay, well, Dr. Guest, I've been, we have cloth mask. It has my co company's business on it. It has my church on it. It has my favorite singer on it. Should I not be wearing these? And I know this is your opinion or should they right. double mask? So, so a couple of things, um, and, you know, that's my answer is going to be nuanced on that. If you have access to a surgical mask, which is going to be the filtered mask that um, you see people wearing in hospitals prior to COVID, if you have access to that and you want to put your logoed mask on over it, that is a great fit. And those cloth masks actually make the surgical masks fit better. They, they don't mold to your face quite as well as some of our other masks but that's still going to give you more protection than no mask. And that surgical mask underneath your cloth mask is going to give you a lot more protection than your cloth mask by itself. I have a listener who just sent me an email saying she's having a hard time finding one of the 94, 95 masks for her son. Uh -huh. uh, and I guess a little one, I don't know how little, but what do you suggest there? Can they be modified or you not mess with them? Right. So first of all, no one under the age of two is recommended to be wearing a mask. So depending on how young the listener's child is, you don't want to put a mask on someone under two. Anyone over two, it is certainly the younger they are, the closer they are to two, the more we want to make sure they're in a mask that they won't fidget with and that they'll keep on. And any mask is probably going to be a lot better than no mask at that point. But the KF94s and the KN95s, you can find those online that are made for children. You mentioned online, and I want to get this out there because, as you know, sometimes when you order stuff online, as someone would say, it ain't what it's supposed to be. So right. how can someone determine or how are they to know that this is a legit mask that they're ordering? Right. So, so first of all, let's talk about what a legitimate or a counterfeit mask actually means. The These masks, are especially the N95s, which are the US made and US rated masks. Those are rated by NIOSH. And, and that means it's tested to make sure it's actually doing what it says it does, which is filtering out 95% of particles. If you get one that is not NIOSH approved or rated like that, a counterfeit mask, it's probably still doing a lot more than nothing, but it's not tested to see if it's at that 95%. So you do want to be careful and there are particular markings on the masks that will let you know that it that it is a rated mask that's been approved. Here's a good question. How long can someone use a mask before it's time to get a new one, particularly if we're talking about the 94-95? That's a great question. So the best solution I have found is to rotate masks. So to have maybe three or four in rotation and you wear one for a day and then when you are done with it, you take it off put it in a bag or put it away somewhere so that if anything's on it, it will get, it will be killed and die during that time. 
and then rotate them. I can make a mask, and when I'm teaching at Emory, I can make a mask, three masks during a week last for almost a month in a rotation like that. So if you um, can rotate them, they will last longer. You'll start to see the ear um, straps or the straps that go around your head on the N95s. Those will start to give way when the mask is probably at its peak uh, amount of time you should be wearing it. If they start to feel like they're getting harder to breathe out of, that also means the filtration has been clogged up and you should move on to a new mask. Do you suggest cleaning them? Is it possible to clean them? And does that change? Okay, you're shaking your yes. head like, Rose, that's yeah. a dumb question. You cannot clean them. You will find that you can't breathe out of them very well. If you, if you clean them, it changes the filtration. Before we wrap up, let's now move from talking about the actual mask and, and let's talk about mindset here because public health officials have said, look, the me- the best mask is, is one you wear. The idea seems to be an N95 isn't going to protect someone if they don't actually wear it properly or can tolerate wearing it for a long period of time. And we've seen people with mask on the chin, below the nose, around the neck, around the wrist. You know, some people just put them on when they go into the grocery store. Some people put them on when they leave the house en route to wherever they're going. What is your mindset about, what do you think about the mindset of getting people to understand the importance of, of wearing the mask? I'm sorry that it feels so controversial and that is really unfortunate, but that's kind of the position that we're in right now. A mask that is not over your nose and covering your mouth is not covering your respiratory tract. We have to remember your nose is part of the respiratory tract and the mask is to cover that entire respiratory tract system. Mm -hmm. And so it really needs to be over your nose and it does need to fit well. It, um, wearing it around your wrist, that's fine if you're walking through a parking lot, but when you get to the entrance to wherever it is you're going, you need to put it on and it, and it needs to fit well. This is, it, it feels um, w- much more political than it needs to be or is meant to be. This is a method to try to keep people safe. You still having conversations with folks about the importance of wearing a mask? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that this has become a conversation we're circling back to because Omicron is so much more transmissible than the previous variants that we've seen. And so we really needed to heighten our messaging about masking again. With the previous variants, if you were vaccinated and you were around only other vaccinated people, that felt a lot safer. But Omicron is a much more transmissible beast than what we've seen before. And so masking is just an extra layer of protection and one that works really well. In watching the evening news last night and I learned about the stealth variant of the Omicron variant, it's like a sub variant. Yes. <laughs> it's cousin. It's cousin. And, and I was like, oh, OK, here we go again. Um, how long will we need to keep wearing masks? And you think, I mean, this is obviously through your lens. Um, are we Bye. just probably uh, in a moment where we're going to be wearing masks for a while now? I think, you know, we're waiting to see what this new version of the Omicron variant will do. If it's more transmissible, which it will then have to take over this incredibly transmissible variant. And, you know, I don't really know if it's going to do that or not. If it does, it might mean masks for a little bit longer. What we need is masks during this time of the Omicron surge. 99.81% of the United States is in a county of high transmission. There are 
three counties in the United States that aren't at that level. That means everyone needs to have a mask on when they're indoors during this time. This is not for the rest of our lives. This is not for the rest of 2022. But I do want us to get used to the idea that we might want to have periods where we take our masks off and then put them back on. And we need to be willing to do that. What questions are you still getting from folks, though, about masks? What are those particular questions? You know, we're still having questions um, from the messaging back in March of 2020. Um, Why did you ask us to not wear masks then? Why should we believe you now? Um, I think one of the better questions right now is the change in we originally said your my mask is for, to protect you and your mask is to protect me. We now have good information that my mask protects you, but it also protects me. And so I'm speaking a lot about that to make sure that if if you don't want to wear a mask for someone else, please wear it for yourself. How many times? How many times have we heard that? Jody Guest is an epidemiologist at Emory University. We've been talking about face masks, the best ones to wear and how to spot the fake ones. As always, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Always good conversation. Always great to talk to you, Rose. Thank you for everything you're doing. But I want to do something that is, I'm looking at you through our our virtual Zoom here. Yeah. Are those pictures of livestock in the back? Yeah. Yes. Are you you into you into livestock? Are you? I'm into animals of all okay. varieties. <laughs> just check it. I just... <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, when you look at your camera all day long on your computer, you need a little outdoor stuff, right? I, I love it. I, look, cows are cool. I love it. Thank you so much. Yep. I appreciate it, Jody. Absolutely. Thank you, Rose. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And you're listening to Closer Look from WABE, Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Perhaps we've all experienced this. It's that single moment in our lives that's it's life-changing. Well, for National Geographic's explorer and storyteller, Tara Roberts, this moment came while visiting the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. So many of our stories focus on slavery and its aftermath on our pain and suffering. And I'm not gonna lie, the slavery exhibit on the lower level of the museum was tough. But when I got to the second floor, I stopped in my tracks. (laughs) Framed on the wall was a photo of scuba divers. They were mostly black women on a boat in wetsuits, hugging an older black guy. They were laughing, all different ages, they reminded me of superheroes. The group was called Diving with a Purpose. That moment for Roberts led to what's now chronicled in a new six-part podcast series. It's called Into the Depths, and it's more than just a journey. Roberts masterfully weaves various threads as she joins a group of black scuba divers searching for lost shipwrecks from the transatlantic slave trade. So what does that mean? Of course, I'm going to talk to her. Joining me now with more National Geographic explorer and storyteller, Tara Roberts, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking the time. I love talking to storytellers. Can you tell? <laughs> yes. It is so amazing to like talk to you, Rose. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan girl of I you. Know. And, I, I'm and, from Atlanta. I love and, you. <laughs> and and mom, 
you know, we're going to have to talk about mom a little bit later because oh. I'm a fan <laughs> of mom. Let, let's begin by going back to that visit to the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. How vivid is that that moment when you looked up there and you saw those black scuba divers and they're like superheroes to you? How vivid is that for you? It's so vivid. It's it's so vivid that it's actually not accurate. So <laughs> what I saw in the picture is really different from what got imprinted in my imagination. Really? Like in my in my mind, it was like those women had their hands um, balled into fists and it was like their fists were on their hips. And it was like they had capes and the hair was blowing in the wind. Like I really felt like they were superheroes. And since then I've been back to the museum and I've looked at the picture <laughs> and clearly the women are sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has on a cape. That's <laughs> what a storyteller how- does, creates that. <laughs> what year was that? I believe it, see, all of it has now like blurred a little bit in my head, but I believe it was 2017. It was either the beginning of 2017 or the end of 2016. And when did you decide there was something to be told about diving with a purpose? Yeah, so when I saw the picture... I then looked to see who are these women and what are they doing? Because I'd never seen a group of black women in wetsuits like that on a boat. And then I discovered that they are part of this group that's you know, searching for slave shipwrecks around the world and helping to document them. And I was intrigued. So I started to look up information about this work and what were they doing? And I discovered some stats that made me go, hmm, I think I got to be a part of this. So here's some stats for you. There were 12,000 ships that brought over 12.5 million Africans to the Americas. Mm -hmm. They estimate that somewhere around 1,000 of those ships wrecked. And here's the stat that like hits me. Less than 10 of those wrecks over the years have been found and properly documented. So there's this whole part of history that's just missing. And -hmm. I felt like that wasn't right. (laughs) Not only was that not right, and I wanted to be a part of telling stories about it, but I was also amazed that this group of black scuba divers who are not necessarily historians or archeologists or scientists, they're just regular people who love to dive and wanted to dive with a purpose. So I wanted to tell stories about them as well. And I'm going to encourage everyone to check out the podcast. But we got to we got to start with this, gentleman. We got to talk about Dr. You call him Doc Jones. Dr. Doc Robert Jones. Jose Jones. Give our listeners a little bit about him. Okay. This is how he's described in the black community. You know, like most of most folks have heard of Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, I know where you're going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what they say is that Jacques Cousteau is the white version of, of Dr. Jones. <laughs> Dr. Jones is a legend. He has had over 10,000 dives, which is insane. He's been inducted in the Scuba Diving Hall of Fame. He's the person who was credited with finding or founding the first black scuba diving club, which is in Washington, DC. It's called the Underwater Adventure Seekers. Mm -hmm. And it was founded in 1959. Like it celebrated in 2019, it celebrated its 60th anniversary. So Doc Jones created that. 
And then he went on to found the National Association of Black Scuba Divers. And he's on the board of Diving with a Purpose. And he's a lead instructor. And I got trained by him. So I feel all extra special. <laughs> I think the man should be on a piece of currency or something. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about that because you took, you knew how to swim. You took yes. diving lessons and you had to have a significant number of dives. I want our listeners to really get an idea. What was that like for you? Had you had any diving experience? I know I know you taught yourself how to swim at the age of five. <laughs> yes. Because I heard that's what that. my mother tells me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, assuming that's true. <laughs> but diving, what was that yeah. like? Diving is, for me, it's one of the most incredible experiences, um, I think, in the world. There is silence underwater. It's a meditative experience. And then you're down there, it's beautiful colors. You see sea life that you can't even imagine. Like it, it tells you that there is, there's a universe out there that is, that is intelligent to be able to create what's under the water. But there's also something that makes you have to be present under the water because you wanna make sure that you're not bumping into coral, you're not disturbing sea life, you're aware of stuff that might be coming at you. So you have to be conscientious of where you are and of your breath. It's one of the most beautiful experiences that I've ever had. I love it. I'm going to share a clip with our audience, but first to set all this up, tell them about the Henrietta Marie. Ah, yeah. The Henrietta Marie is the first um, slave ship to have been found It was on its way to Jamaica, um, and it actually dropped off the captive Africans in the hold. And it was on its way back to Europe when it wrecked. Um, And the beautiful thing about this, I think maybe the clip you're gonna play is with Doc Jones. Mm -hmm. Um, So the National Association of Black Scuba Divers, Doc Jones raised money and they, um, to, to create a plaque and they wanted to put a plaque down at the site. Mm. In this clip, Doc Jones talks about placing this underwater monument, monument to the Henrietta Marie. It felt eerie. It was like diving on a grave site. It felt like you were touching the souls of your ancestors and you were down there. And it involves people that could be your, your own family. It was a very strange dive. I got to tell you, that, yeah. for me, I, it, it took me. It, yeah. it took me on out, as they say. <laughs> wow. Yeah. One thing that I'll say is you would think that this work is sad, and that it is traumatic. But I would say I experienced almost the opposite of that. And I think that that is the case for many of the divers. And it's not like they're not sad moments in this. Mm-hmm. Um, to touch that history, to see it is hard. But what is powerful is realizing that you are a part of finding this history and raising it up from the depths. There's such power and purpose and intent in that work. And so it brings, I think, healing. I think it brings closure. I think a lot of the stories um, 
and the coverage of our past stays inside of the pain and it stays inside of the trauma. But this work surprisingly is a way to move beyond the pain to hope, to possibility and to honoring because that's what also doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. This is one stat that I just, it, this is a stat that blows me away and that I just can't stop sharing about. I did not know that 1.8 million Africans died in the middle crossing. Yeah, not five people, not 10 people, not 100 people, 1.8 million people. Who's honoring them? Who's memorializing them? Who's grieving them? So part of being involved in this work allows us to do that important work for the ancestors. And as a storyteller for you, and you tell the listeners, I quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> I talk to my folks, as we say. You talk to your best friend. That's what we do. We call, we call our best girlfriend and we talk to mama or somebody before we make a major decision to do this. Yeah. I did. I knew I wanted to be involved in it. I knew I wanted to help tell their stories. And I, I maybe I, I sensed this because I don't know in the beginning that I was going to come across all that I came across, that this story was as big, that I was really stepping into the middle passage, the global slave trade, where there's not enough history. There's not enough stories about. So we heard Doc Jones talk about that moment for him underwater, placing this monument, not knowing, am I, how close am, am I to someone I, that I might be actually related to? But for you, I imagine you have some, some similar moments in all mm. of this. Yeah. Can you share one? Yeah, so many, Rose. <laughs> I'm like, which one? Um, well, I can tell you about what it was like for me to dive in Costa Rica. Um, and as a part of this journey, the podcast takes you to Mozambique, South Africa, Senegal, Benin and Togo, Costa Rica, St. Croix, and around the U.S. Um, and Costa Rica was the site where I was really able to dive on the wreck site. And that is an intriguing story because the Africans that were in the holds of, it was two ships, and the Africans that were in the holds of those two ships were actually set free on the shores of the southern part of Costa Rica. Um, so they did not die in the water. And that was because the crew mutinied and took over the ship and was like, we are trying to get back home. But to dive on that site, I saw the anchor from the ship. Um, I saw the hull or the outline of where the hull is. Mm -hmm. And like Doc Jones said, it it it's a whole other thing to know like what those people must have experienced the fear for those folks, the elation at being freed. I mean, it's, it's just incredible to be able to touch their stories and to imagine them. Let's talk now in terms of production here and let's get a little technical. How much equipment did you have over the, the course of this? How did you capture the sounds? Now I have a little video recorder called a Tascam and if I drop it in the tub, it's done. <laughs> I had a microphone at one of my cats. Well, Dave Bereswain, who's a producer here, may not want to hear this. That ruined the microphone. So how much equipment did you have? 
So I, I am a writer by trade. I'm a journalist from the magazine world. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about audio. And I came on this trip planning to write blog entries. Like I was writing stories, but it was through traveling, through hearing the people. I interviewed over a hundred people from all of these destinations, not just scuba divers, but also historians, archeologists, descendants. Like it was so many different people with so many different perspectives and theories and ideas. And I started to think that maybe people should hear them. Mm -hmm. So I was traveling just with my little Zoom H1. It was a little tiny. I know exactly. Yeah. 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 And I was just planning to capture that so that I could refer to my notes when I was writing. But along the way, I realized, hey, I think this is an audio story. And when I brought it to National Geographic and they started to listen to my footage, they were like, uh, okay, we're going to have to do some retaping. <laughs> I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How, um, uh, after something like this, uh, what do you, what do you, how do you follow it up? I mean, is this, I don't want to, it's not the highlight, but this is such an amazing project. What is, is next? Well, it's not over. Yeah. Um, as I said, I, they estimate that there could be as many as a thousand ships out there. And there's still those 1.8 million souls whose stories haven't been told. So it feels like there's a lot more storytelling to do. And I'm excited about that. Um, I, I just found out this fact that I will, I will share with you because it sort of blows my mind. But um, I just found out, so there's a cover story that's coming out in National Geographic mm-hmm. magazine that accompanies the podcast and it journeys, it chronicles my journey. And Rose, they put my picture on the cover of National Geographic. And I found out I'm the first black Mm -hmm. woman explorer to be on the cover. So it just feels like this is an opportunity for people who have not had voice, who haven't had platforms to be able to talk about this hidden history that can't be hidden anymore. And after that, we have to end with this because Miss Lula Roberts can tell everybody <laughs> my baby is on the cover of National Geographic. She lives in Atlanta. She's a retired educator from Spelman. What has she meant to you throughout all of this as well? Oh, my mom is my biggest cheerleader. She's the one who's in my corner. And um, I, I think you hear this in the podcast, but she invites her pastor Pastor Bishop Jack mm-hmm. from Hillside International Chapel and Truth Center mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to come over and bless my my journey and my work. I never would have thought to do that, but my mom has always had my back and is always trying to make sure that I am centered, I am grounded, I am protected, and I am taken care of inside of this work. So I love her. <laughs> is she listening? Is mom listening right now? I don't think so. Mom has a little, see, I'm, I'm in DC right now okay. and mom can't always like work all the technology <laughs> in the house. <laughs> well, when she hears this, I'm sure she will greatly appreciate that. And then also what is your message to someone who gets that moment that you had when you were at the Smithsonian and, and this, it wouldn't let you go. You knew you had to do something. What is your message to someone listening? Take a leap of faith. Yeah. Step out jump. on faith. It's jump. And I think that these moments don't happen accidentally. One of the things that um, Bishop Jack told me, he said, the ancestors called you. Like the ancestors are speaking. 
They called you. So you got to answer. <laughs> when they call, you got to answer. <laughs> wow. The podcast, Into the Depths. Thank you so much for taking this time. Uh, Tara, it's been a great conversation. Tara Roberts. So National Geographic Explorer and Storyteller. Can you put that on a, like a hat? That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Rose. It's been great. Take care now. Say hi to mom. Okay, I will. <laughs> Alexa, play Chelsea Shag. Shuffling songs by Chelsea Shag. If you kiss my mind, my body will follow. If you kiss my mind, my body will follow. If you kiss my mind, my body will follow. If you kiss. <laughs> that was my morning. How was yours? The artist is Chelsea Shag. Faithful listeners to this program know that Chelsea was our first Closer Look Summer Indie music artist we profiled. And Chelsea would kick off each summer series, you know, where we talked to local singers and bands. They would jam into our studio for, then the pandemic hit. And then we haven't had anybody back. So here was our question, though. What has life been like for an independent artist through all of this? We're going to check in with Chelsea Shag. And I know for all of the artists that we've had, we love all y'all. Cody Matlock, the Mako Girls, we Gwen, we love all y'all. And then one thing about Cody Matlock, and I'm going to get to Chelsea in a moment. Cody Matlock, blues singer, is the only person on this show ever who's been given a piece of article, a clothing, by me. That says something. It was my 2003 NBA All-Star hoodie. I cherish that, but Cody was cold. So I gave him my hoodie, and he still has it. He better still have it, because, Cody, I'm going to come get you. But let's get back to Chelsea Shack. <laughs> She's laughing. Chelsea, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. You know, Cody played guitar on that song he just played. I did not know that. Did you know that? At the end, he does this little waka, waka, waka. That's Cody? I That's did Cody. not know that. Wow. It's been, it's, it's, it's been two years since we really sort of had you on the program. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is amazing. It's so good to be here. Um, let me ask you this. How these last two years, we're going, going into the third year now, really, what's it been like for you? Because yeah. as artists, you all are used to being out there, jamming at the local venues, some of the local smaller places. This is this has been this has been different for you all. Talk about a transformation for sure. Figuring out other ways to feed that um, performer side of me and community side of me. Um, a lot of outdoor jams have gone on, mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Were um, you able to create new music? Absolutely. You know, it's been pretty cool because I was on a label and, and now I'm truly independent and it's forced me to figure out how to record at home alone in, in my space. And it's been really fruitful. How have you figured out how to do that? Well, there's YouTube. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's classes online. There's, you know, it's just about playing and exploring. So I've been doing a lot of that at home. Has the pandemic been a part of like what you're feeling, what you're seeing, what we're all experiencing? Has that helped in, in being creative and in writing new music? 
it has because it's forced me to go back to what my true nature is you know it it provides space for to literally go out into nature to go out with the trees and the grass and the sky and the sun and ask yourself ask myself what is my true nature mm-hmm. and how how can I show my subconscious? Like, how can I let you hear what's going on in my head? And that's provided a lot of time for me to explore that and to record it. And so what is the, the next? I mean, I, I've talked to some artists who said, you know, I'm going to do some smaller venues, but also want to be, you know, mindful that we're still in this pandemic. And some have mm-hmm. said, you know what, this is totally upended me because I, I rely on the income. I just like performing. What Where are you now in all this? What phase are you in? Phase I'm in is, well, during the pandemic, I realized how much it means to me to help others and to provide a space of healing for myself and others. So I got into sound healing and sound baths um, where I, I got my certification with Sound Embrace Institute. And through that journey, I've realized, wow, I really want to provide this space where we get to heal together. And, um, and but also realizing like my way of healing for myself is expressing my heart through singing, through songwriting. Um, so I'm I'm in that like production phase of like being home in my studio. Well, let's go back because for listeners who may not be familiar with what you just said, you said sound bath. Yeah. Have you been to a sound bath? I've been to a bath, which is in my house. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I want you to enlighten me and our oh, listeners. I would love to enlighten you about sound bath. So a sound bath would look like you would... Let's say it's at a studio, um, a yoga studio. Mm-hmm. So you would come in your comfy clothes, maybe bring a journal and water, blankets, pillows, however you can feel most comfortable. You come and lay down in this space, and I bring you on a sound journey through my sound, uh, sorry, through my healing bowls, my gong, my sea drum. Mm-hmm. And it's about an hour long, and these frequencies are being sent to you, slow down your brain waves and put you into your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your natural state of healing. So people have different experiences. Some people see colors, some people talk to their ancestors, some people see like their subconscious mind play like a movie. Mm. So it's different for everybody, but it is very relaxing and it's a beautiful way to get into your body, mind, and spirit. What led you to that? You know what, girl? I was <laughs> you sound like we having a, a, a beer down the street. You know what, Rose, girl? <laughs> you know what, girl? I, you know, I was going through a breakup during the pandemic, and oh. I was really searching for other things to do besides just being an artist, being so outward and, you know, all that. I really... Um, I needed something else and I got invited to a sound bath in 2018 and just started going to them and there's this one specific one I went to at the end of 2019 that just rocked my world and I was like you know what I want to do this this is so satisfying this is a beautiful thing uh so yeah that's how I got into it are you going to get back out on the road soon are you gonna do more I am. I've got, um, I've actually got a show lined up in September um, in Marietta at Carrie's Corner. So I'm kind of taking it slow, to be honest. Um, One of my favorite quotes, and it's about nature, is, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know it verbatim, but (laughs) 
it's something like <laughs> it's something like nature does not rush yet everything is accomplished and that's kind of where i'm at i'm i'm in these spaces where i'm jamming and feeling myself and and feeling others and creating and i think i like this space for now and i will go out and do shows soon but i'm a, i'm going to take my time rose i'm going to take my time i talked to an artist i won't mention that i'll, I'll you know keep this but someone just told me you know i i'll sing when i can but i just had to go get another job i you know i hadn't been picked up by a major label and i you know we and they took took me through this whole ordeal of in this day and age it's so different now for indie artists and that sometimes it's all about your socials as they told me and you know just trying to find your get your music out because anyone can put out music and that's great we love that we don't have to be signed to a major label but if you're trying to get some things done sometimes that financial backing and the other resources that come with a major label can help all right where are you you you're going you're a performer that's not going to change mm-hmm. but is that the career path for you still to yeah, you know, I think it's one of them. I think I'm so interested in so many things. It's like, I don't want to pick one, but that's definitely a path that will always be with me. And it is discouraging, like the social media. Um, I don't want to be on social media blasting my stuff. Like, I don't like promoting myself. I like the natural uh, just interactions of like, if it comes up, it comes up. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm more in like, I don't really care. I'm just going to make music because I love it. And if y'all see it and if it blows up, then it's meant to be or, you know, whatever. But I'm doing this for self-expression, for freedom, for for the love and community. Well, speaking of love and community, and we hope you love Closer Look and WABE, you are now sort of the, I don't want to call it the official voice of w, of WABE. Kevin, do we have that? We Can we, we don't have that? So you are... Oh, well, we have it. We're going to find it. You are, you've lent your talents to our new branding. Yes. How did, oh all, how did all this come about? Yo, I am so excited about this. Um, so I've been talking to, talking to this friend, uh, Jeremy Gilbertson, and he's always been trying to, you know, hook me up with some sync licensing stuff and nothing ever really worked out and then just in december he reached out and said hey npr is looking for a new sonic id would you be interested in trying it i'm like whoa um yeah i love them that's so cool okay we'll see if i get it and i ended up being hired and wow i learned so much through that experience and like i just feel so incredibly honored it's my favorite show and favorite radio stations so so wow. you love WABE and and so uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll get that clip but um that experience and and which was totally just blew you away in a sense but uh being part of that yeah not many artists do that and I love our local indie artists I already got an email that says when am I coming on the show Rose see what you started Chelsea but I'll get everybody back on but you know community that's what we love about our indie artists because they're community here we can reach out to them. We can go see them. So we really appreciate you doing that for us oh. here at, um, at WABE. Now, in terms of music, when did you release or record West? Oh, okay. West, I started recording October 2020, and I set a goal for myself to finish it in a year. So exactly a year later, I released it on October 15th 
um, and I recorded that all at home. That was the first song I like. I did everything on and mixed and released on my own, my first like independent release. So I just wanted to do that for myself and, and see where it took me and see how it felt. So that was that was really fun. Let's take a <laughs> listen to Wes. Now, I want to ask you this. The mixing, how was that for you? Did You did all this yourself. What was this experience like for you? It was, uh, <laughs> I just, you know, I've learned so much over the years through just being in studio sessions. So, you know, just kind of, you got to dissect your brain and, and figure out what you got in there. Like, oh, I can do this. Okay. It's, it's more of like, okay, can I do this? Can I do this? Stop asking myself that. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And if I have a question, reach out to a friend. If I have a question, go search on the internet for it and find it. So it's a big, like, it's a big learning experience. Uh, Did you get to a point where you there was a little frustration? But you, obviously you didn't give up because now we have West. Yeah. Um, I'd say the frustration just comes with, like, or it comes from just telling yourself okay sit down sit down and do it sit mm -hmm. down and do it and now I you know what engineers go through kevin rinker back there looking at me saying yeah rose this is what engineers go through <laughs> <laughs> i want to play that i want to play that id for our listeners in case they didn't know that this was chelsea shag but here it is Was I the inspiration for the doo -doo -doo? probably not, but <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you where this came from. Actually, it's it's really it really taught me so much about creativity and my self-talk was um, I was racking my brain trying to be like, OK, like, what should it be? What should it sound like? OK, what is W.A.B.E.? Who am I? OK, let's do this. And like I fleshed out so many ideas and I was like, this is garbage. Ugh. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a break. And then I found like a drum beat I really felt. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to write to this for myself. That's it. And then I'll go back. Oops, sorry. And then I'll go back and figure it out. But what I ended up making in that period of time was exactly what I used. And I was just like, what? What? You just can never expect how something will come out and how creativity comes out. And I don't know, it was just like the coolest. Oh, it was just such a great lesson to learn. Like you just never know. All right. And and do you think this could lead to something else? I mean, I hope so. Yeah. The, the sync licensing world is I mean, I would I would be very happy doing that for a living, um, making music like well, this. Chelsea Shag, we appreciate you doing that for us. And listen, I, I so miss the summer indie music series. People have no idea. Our studio is not very big, Studio 4, but it's big enough where we would have sometimes five-member bands in here. We maybe just have one person with an acoustic. We had a Tenth Letter who was just here with a iMac so you know <laughs> MacBook or whatever things called so we miss having the artists in here but hopefully you know maybe one day we'll get back to it because we really appreciate our local independent artists and all the work that they've done so 
Shout out to all of you all. The Tulips, so many that I can't mention. I'll get an email. Dara Carter, I love all y'all. Um, you know, Robbie, love y'all. You know, oh Robbie, Robbie's cool. So Chelsea yeah. Shag, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Rose Scott. I love you and I love y'all and I hope you have a great day. All right. Now, don't worry, y'all. Fresh Air with Terry Gross is coming up next. But I just want to take the time to say that, you know what? Sam Whitehead is our senior producer. Our other producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and, of course, Kevin Rinker, who rides a bike, is our engineer. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR, because we're amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. We both Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.